0: Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. In this episode of God is Open, we're going to be talking about the Calvinist hijacking of the word predestination. You know, that's what they do. They say, oh, we got this word and it's predestination. It means God picks every single thing uh, he micromanages everything, makes sure every single wiggle of the finger, one of my favorite examples, uh, has been predestined from all of eternity. See, it's a biblical concept, the words right there in the Bible. But here's the thing. They hijack words, Calvinists hijack words. The words that they pick and choose to use are words that they have controlled the definition of to make it into Calvinism. They're assuming their premises into these words. And today we're going to show that, uh, today with the word predestination, we could show that again with elect and also with foreknowledge as well, how they import meaning in those words. Uh, also, there, there's an article on uh, God is Open called like the Calvinist Dictionary, which it talks about how Calvinists hijack and redefine words. But this word's in the Greek, and we see here I pulled up uh, Strong's Dictionary, and they'll always say, Oh, we turn to the lexicons, and the lexicons say that this means the Calvinist definition. All well, the Calvinists wrote the lexicon, so appealing to yourself uh, so not very convincing to me. But uh, they take the word, and the word is a combination of pro, meaning before. And horizon, which is a boundary, like we get the word horizon, the English word, a boundary between the earth and the sky, but it could mean to ordain or uh, destined or, or set, something like that. And so they say, see, pro horizon. what it means is that determined beforehand, and some lexicons will say, oh, from time eternal, where do they get that from, from the text? Where do they get that from in any of the uses of the words? They're making it up. It's pretty funny. But we're lucky we live in the modern world we don't have to take the lexicon writers uh word for whatever the word meanings are we could we have access to better resources than these people had because we have automation we have technology and you could go to this perseus a word frequency calculator what they do is they index ancient texts and they figure out how many times any specific word is used and you could put in the, the special characters uh, for pro or Arizo. i got that there on the screen so you could emulate what i'm doing here and it shows the usage is in the greek text that they have indexed there might be other usages out there but uh These are the ones that we do have indexed that we have readily access to. You could click into the links and they will give you English translations and you should be able to figure out where exactly that this is from. Well, this one doesn't have English. So what I did is I bumped up the Greek versus an English translation, isolated it where it was translated in the English. And then I put that for your, your use on the God is Open website with the word in bold. So here's Clement, and Clement was a Christian, and he writes this, The second in order, and not any less than this, he says is, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, consequently God above thyself. And on his interlocutor, inquiring, Who is my neighbor? He did not, in the same way with the Jews, specify the blood relation, or the fellow citizen, or the proselyte, or him that had similarly circumcised or the man who uses one and the same loss. so here's what i do with this text i'll be talking to uh, some sort of calvinist they'll be like god predestines everything it's right there in the bible you see the word see that's my word it's in the bible and so i'll post this and i'll say which word is it and i won't i won't do it what i do in the in the website where you bold the one that it is and they'll have no idea they will have no clue which word and they will they'll be confused struck dumb. I like that uh i like that terminology struck dumb like they they lose all cognition and they can't respond it's just like a blank screen uh, you know television fuzz but uh the only person i ever got to answer this was jonathan pritchett of uh of the trinity radio and he has a more inquiring mind i think he's understands the use of the word a little bit better than they do they just wanted to assume their meaning into the word and so they can't answer the question which word is it in this paragraph but how it is used here the jews specify blood relations who is your neighbor the jews uh they they've set up the system in which your neighbor is your friend your relative someone who's a blood relation and uh, jesus says uh, who's your neighbor everyone's your neighbor everyone's your neighbor so the jews predestined that it's not like they're ordaining from time eternal they're just establishing something or they've they've done something in the past to establish this or or this is an established rule that they've already set up something like that that's what's going on in this text moving on this is eusebius also a christian and this paragraph says, Thereupon, as the divine direction, he journeyed from the land of Cappadocia, where he first held the episcopate, to Jerusalem, in consequence of a vow, and for the sake of information in regards to its places. They received him there with great cordiality, and would not permit him to return, because of another revelation seen by them at night, which uttered the clearest message to the most zealous among them. For, it made known that if they would go outside the gates, they would receive the bishop foreordained for them by God. And having done this with the unanimous consent of the bishops of the neighboring churches, they constrained him to remain. And so, this is just a pre-selection or something like this, someone that God has specified in the past. Um, this not this this. Reference here is not quite a proof text either way. I could see the Calvinist saying, oh, this means our predestination from time eternal. God has chosen this individual. Ah, well, maybe, maybe, but uh, that's forced into the text rather than getting out of the text. Let's skip down to Plutarch. Plutarch is writing about the time of uh, the New Testament, probably 60 AD, something like that. Plutarch writes this. Let so much suffice for general occasion of freedom of speech. There are also particular occasions which our friends themselves furnish that one who really cares for his friends will not neglect but make use of. And so, in this use, the word actually is furnish. So, pro horizo or pro is used to mean furnish. Someone's providing something, someone's giving an example of something. And that's how the words used. It's not this predestination foreordination from time eternal. Nothing like that. We'll we'll read Eusebius' second example here too. It says this. When therefore they were ordered to choose whether they would be released from molestation by touching the polluted sacrifice and would receive from them that cursed freedom or refusing to sacrifice should be condemned to death, they did not hesitate but went to death cheerfully. For they knew what had been declared before by the sacred scriptures for it is said that he that sacrifices to other gods shall be utterly destroyed. Exodus twenty-two twenty. And you shall have no other gods before me. Exodus 23. And so the scripture was written in the past, and the, the scripture, just like the Jews in our other example, where the Jews have specified, the Jews have set down this rule, the scripture declared before. This is Eusebius' second use of the word. So it kind of meets the same use that clement was using and it kind of uses the same use that plutarch uses as well that someone sets something up someone declares something they're giving an example or, or something it's it's not this strong uh, predestination you know no free will god controls everything that's not the sense that we're getting from these usages so let's re-go over paul and look at what he writes his uses of the words for ordination and then uh, we could see if that's What he means, the Calvinist understanding or this more nuanced, uh, less forceful definition. So this is Peter's speech to the Jews. And he's trying to tell these guys that uh, they've done something wrong in crucifying Jesus. And now is the time to repent. And he writes this, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. And so this determined before, that's the predestination. And w- when I queried Bart Ehrman about this on his blog, he just said, yeah, yeah, this is just them trying to say that Jesus's death wasn't coincidental or wasn't an accident or wasn't thwarting God. This was God's plan. So it doesn't mean that God's micromanaging these people. This is an assurance that all things are going according to plan. It's not that the death of Jesus thwarted Jesus's ministry, but it's actually plain a larger role in a larger plan, and so predestination. I could I could see where they would want to have this predestination. God's micromanaging these things, but the Bart Ehrman take seems more rational, where this is a general plan instead of uh, fulfilling a general purpose. It's not meant to be fatalistic. It's not meant to say that every single thing was micromanaged. Every th- single uh, stab or whatever, every single murder is micromanaged. In fact. In this speech, the Jews are accused for killing Jesus. That's, that's the idea that you are in trouble because you killed Jesus. It, it's something that should have been thwarted if it could have been thwarted. Here's the accusation. This is by Peter in Acts 4.8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well? Let be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. See that they they killed Jesus. God rose Jesus. This is an accusation of against them for doing wrong. There's blood on their hands. They're culpable for this. This is not God didn't kill Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. God undid what they dead unjustly. And a matter of fact, moving on to Romans eight, this is the golden chain that everyone's all those so concerned about. They're like, Oh, this is very precise and very technical. And we need to follow these words. And there's no overlap. And this word means this specifically and this word means this specifically. And yeah, you know, words don't work like that. Maybe maybe Paul's using words like that. But we don't get that from the context. And so let's let's read this golden chain for whom he foreknew and foreknowledge. uh, That's another word that the Calvinists hijack. You see how they they hijack one word and then they define another word over here in light of a word they already hijacked. So they hijack this word and then they just go on a hijacking spree. But foreknowledge is a word that Paul uses. The Jews foreknew him, which means they had a personal relationship with him in the past while he was alive. It wasn't like before he was born or time eternal or anything like that. And so this is talking about God, whom God foreknew. God has a relationship with these people, and so he predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son. So he chooses, he sets out this rule that they're conformed to the image of the son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He does this so that uh, he could have a family, All right. Moreover, whom he predestined, or whom he uh, had set these rules up for, these he also called, and whom he called, These he also justified. Whom he justified, he also glorified. Called is another word that they like to hijack. Jesus has an entire parable about election. And it's not what you think. It's not the people who were elected were the ones who got saved. People were elected and then they refused. And so different people had to be elected. And then they came, but some didn't come in the right manner. And the leftovers were the elect. And so the election word as used in the Bible... Jackie Smore has an entire book on this but this election is picking the choice fruit when you when you're making wine you're making the best wine you're picking the choice grapes you're getting the best of the Grapes that's the election process. this you're selecting the quality ones, and it's not arbitrary. It's not oh God just has an eternal list of names that's arbitrarily chosen. It's nothing to do with yourself. He's choosing he's choosing the elect, He's choosing those choice grapes, those who put themselves to this standard such that they're worthy of this calling, and so he justifies and whom he justifies those he glorifies. And Paul's use of the word glorified throughout Romans, a lot of times this is man-glorifying God. So is it a similar concept or is it different? I know people, they really want these words to mean very specific things. But, uh, you know, that words have ranges of meaning. So allow possibilities, allow probabilities. This sounds to me just like Paul's talking about uh, our assurances in God. In fact, that's what the context is all about. Our assurance in what God has done. And he's saying that God has loved us, has had a relationship with us, and chose us, the elect. He chose us, the best of the best, you know, the elect, the elect. And it, you know, that word's used in the ancient world. Be like the elect soldiers were chosen to run into the battlefield and be the shock troops. And that's not saying, oh, those are any single troops uh, randomly. Those are the choice troops. Those are the troops that uh, are really good at fighting. The ones that have a lot of endurance. The ones who could really make an impact those are the elect troops it's not this arbitrary election or anything like that so that's paul's use in romans 8 and i think uh, my version makes a little bit more sense than the calvinists golden chain what they would like to press there our next use is in 1 corinthians 2 7 and paul writes this but we speak the wisdom of god in a mystery the hidden wisdom which god ordained before the ages to our glory and what does that mean, like predestination from time eternal? It says before the ages. Is it before this age? Or is it before uh, overall age? Is it before he created the world? It, or does it does it mean just before this time? God, in some previous time, has said about these rules, this hidden wisdom, which is now being revealed to us. That's what it sounds like to me, what's going on there. Not a predestined. This this <laughs> hidden wisdom was predestined before the ages to our glory? No, this hidden wisdom was set about or specified, kind of like the Jews specify blood relations. God has described this in, in some fashion in the past. So the next use that Paul has is in Ephesians, and it reads this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And so having predestined us to adoption as his sons by Jesus Christ, that sounds to me like he's setting down a rule set. Just as we talked about before, he's setting down processes, he's specifying processes, which are established that we could come and fulfill those processes or we we could interact with those processes not necessarily like he's choosing every single individual it might be they might appeal to Ephesians 1 4 just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world and say he chose each and every one of us by name that's an imposition on the text. Um, it's, it's not clear that that's what's going on there. And remember back to our uh, podcast on the names in the book of life, the names are added after the beginning of the world. These names are not an eternal list of names. These are names that are added and removed based on actions of people. So it's more likely that Paul has this idea in mind, that there's these elect people, and the elect people are the names in the book of life not necessarily like this is talking about the names in the book of life, but it's a good conceptual image. That there's this ongoing book of life and whoever's name is in this book of life, those are the elect. Those are the chosen. Those are the ones that God wants to be with for all eternity. And individuals can opt in and out of this book of life uh, as they will. You know, and he talks in a collective sense. He's not talking individual. We, we don't get the individual sense in this verse. Foundation of the world, that's another interesting Greek phrase that could be mean something like before the world collapsed, before the great flood. It could be before he created anything or the building up after the flood. We're not quite sure what that refers to. So just make sure you don't import impositions onto that phrase as well. Our last use that we're going to be going over, this is the last one in the Perseus list of usages, is Ephesians 1.11 in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so this obtaining of inheritance is predestined or the the process is set up the process is specified so pro horizon, building a process specifying some sort of rule establishing something in the past not necessarily calvinist predestination which is very forceful it's uh, individuals Chris Fisher, you are chosen from time eternity to do the little finger wiggle with your finger because that's what God cares about is wiggling fingers, something weird like that. It's not what's going on in these verses. And we really get a fuller sense of the word when we look at the ancient context. Secular authors or even Christian authors outside the New Testament that use the word. So in the lexicons, when they're writing their definitions, look at the assumptions that they're pulling in. We have access to the resources they are using. We could use our own judgment to judge what they wrote down in those lexicons, and we are more highly informed than they are because they probably didn't have access to these indexed locations in other ancient texts in order to compare word usages and to figure out the range of meaning and what it could possibly mean. And just notice when you come across a lexicon that says, "Oh, it means uh, from before time eternal, before time began, God had these thoughts in His mind." Those are a massive imposition on the text that just is just not in any of the reference. They're making that up. So it should get, teach us to treat these lexicons with a grain of salt. Uh, you come to the text as translators, as as thinking people, to understand that words are defined by context. Rather than by dictionaries, or rather than by lexicon. And while lexicons might be useful in broadening our perspectives on the range of meaning and the range of usages and different uh, times that these things are used and what they could mean, the meaning's more defined by the context. So if the lexicon doesn't support the usages that it's trying to explain, the lexicon's wrong. All right, so I hope you guys like that podcast. We'll do another one on these hijacked words. We'll probably do one on election and one on foreknowledge. But thanks for listening.